Welcome to Urban Forum Northwest with your host, Eddie Rye Jr. Uh, we have a lot of folks we'll be talking with today about the Juneteenth uh, celebrations that's coming up. But first and foremost, we're going to talk to Representative Chipalo Street from the 37th Legislative District. Uh, this year was a long session. As a matter of fact, when he left there, there was a special session. I think it lasted about <laughs> a day. But that special session had been reverberating around the, the state because uh, a lot of cities have to uh, adopt a policy, have their own policy. But I'd just like to ask uh, uh, Representative Street uh, about the highlights of the long session. Uh, you're going to a, an event a little later this afternoon to see uh, some of your work come to fruition, which is great. We all want to see positive things coming out the legislature. So why don't you just go ahead and share with us a, a little bit about what happened down there and what you're going to be doing uh, this afternoon. For sure. Well, thanks for having me back on the show. Um, as you mentioned, it was a long session because this was our budgeting year. We created a two-year budget for the next two years. And I would actually say that was one of the highlights of the session. Um, we did a great job overall for the state in terms of investing in housing, in terms of investing for homelessness, behavioral health. Um, we also got some money in for healthcare for undo our undocumented neighbors. So I think we did a lot of great investments. For example, we talked about housing. Uh, usually we have $200 million in the housing trust fund. This, this past um, budget, we doubled that to get $400 million. And while $400 million is just sort of scratching what we need to invest in our affordable housing, it's great to see our state taking strides towards um, fully funding these essential services. Um, and then that was at a statewide level, but I think that the delegation from the 37th also did a great job bringing back money to the district, which has been historically underinvested in. So we brought back $70 million in different capital projects um, from the Tubman Health Center that got $11.7 million to a handful of different affordable housing and early childhood learning projects in the district. And that's actually the uh, the event that uh, you referred to, Mr. Wright, we're going to be down at the Tubman Center uh, talking about the different types of projects that we got funded and working with different community members to share the knowledge about how we got projects funded so that we can bring even more money back to the district next time we do budgeting. Yeah, and uh, your seatmate is Representative Sharon Tomiko Santos, and the senator is uh, Rebe uh, Rebecca Saldan Saldana. And uh, we worked closely with uh, those folks before you got there. So we know yep. that they're committed, and, and it's good to have you there uh, with your commitment as well. Uh, what are some of the other highlights of the long session? Yeah, so we went into this session knowing that reproductive rights were going to be a big issue given how um, the Supreme Court overturned Roe. And I was really proud of a lot of the work the legislature did in terms of passing a data privacy uh, bill for reproductive rights uh, data that concerned reproductive health care. Uh, we also shielded... Uh, healthcare providers who provide reproductive health care from uh, lawsuits from other states where individuals may be coming to our state to get abortions. And so we made sure that those providers would be um, shielded legally so that they could not be um, prosecuted from other states. Uh, we also increased funding in the budget, as you mentioned, uh, to make sure that those providers have the resources to serve a expanded number of people who are likely going to be coming to our state from surrounding states that have been uh, where abortion has been outlawed. Um, so I think we did a lot of great stuff. And then those are some sort of reactive steps. One of the things I was also really proud of was a proactive step. Uh, Representative Jessica Bateman worked with the governor to buy 30,000, I believe, um, doses of the abortion drug that was beat, that's being currently 
litigated at the federal in federal courts about whether there will be access to that nationally. And so we now have a 30,000 uh, pill stockpile, uh, understanding that 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 ban was likely going to come. And so it's great when the legislatures work reactively on things, but I really think it's important to be proactive. And so I thought that was a great example of how um, we were thinking ahead of the curve. And so that was great work that we did. Sorry, you looked like you were about to say something. No, no, I was just thinking about um, you have the proximity of uh, the major towns in Idaho to our to uh, our border, and so yep. we know that, as you just mentioned, uh, would it be illegal for Washington State to share some of those uh, pills, abortion pills, with people in Idaho who are in need? Is that against the law there, or what? That's a great question. Um... I am not an expert on those types of things. I think if those people from Idaho came to came to Washington State, they could definitely get that through the mail. We could possibly even send it out of state. Maybe I'm not sure. Um, but those those are exactly the types of questions we passed the shield laws for: is to make sure that um, we could go as far as possible to making to making abortion or abortion pills available to our own residents and other folks who come to our state or interact with folks in our state um, to get those services. You know, another major issue is gun violence. Uh, every time you watch the news, pick up the paper, you know, just recently, a uh, lady down in, in uh, 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 Belltown was killed along with her unborn child. And, uh, you know, uh, somebody was killed in a movie theater in Kent. Uh, what is the legislature doing? What can they do about this? Uh, and I guess it's a, na a national problem as well. But what can be done to try to curb some of this uh, uh, gun violence? Is, that, is the NRA that strong? Oh, I'm sure the NRA is very strong. Also, we as a country have sort of ingrained in our in our minds that having weapons of war is a, a right in this country. And while Yes, the Constitution protects your First Amendment or your Second Amendment right. Having these weapons of war like assault rifles, I would argue, is completely crazy and counterproductive to public safety, which is why the legislature passed an assault rifle ban or assault weapon ban so that uh, regular citizens can't own weapons of war. We also mandated that, that folks get training if they're going to buy a gun. When you go get a car, you need a driver's license, you need to be trained how to properly and safely use a car. Guns are a are a tool that can be used um, for violence and can cause real harm. And so making sure that people have the training to properly and safely use guns, I think is also important. Um, and as you mentioned, we don't have to look very far outside of even our own district to see the tragedy of gun violence, like Brother Lewis was killed, Brother um, Brother Pickett was killed. And these were sort of cornerstones of our community, up and coming um, young men who were leaders within the community and were pushing back against gun violence in many different ways. And so when we lose these really, really important community members and leaders, like it takes a huge toll on families, of course, but it also starts to pull at the fabric of our communities. Um, and so I was also really proud of the steps we took in the legislature to start trying to curb gun violence. Give us an idea of what the legislature did at the last session to try to curb gun violence? Uh, so th those two things I mentioned, the assault okay. weapons ban, so um, it is no longer illegal to purchase assault, purchase or sell assault weapons in the state. And then there's also mandatory training that you need to get when you go to purchase a legal firearm. Now, the other qu question uh, that I have is uh, in terms of uh, uh, 
Washington State, you have to have a permit, right, to carry a weapon? Uh, now you will have to have this training um, to make sure that you are trained. I would have liked to see that be in-person training with live fire training to make sure that you can actually shoot the weapon that you're buying. Um, however, it got watered down to just online training, which I think is better than nothing. Yeah, well, I agree. Uh, uh, in terms of resources, uh, as the city or the county, are they getting additional resources to have uh, people who are like mental health counselors and people that they can see potentially having? Well, it's amazing because I've been hearing about so many people getting out of jail, recommitting, and I just don't quite quite understand that. But I just want to know uh, what other uh, uh, resources that you had that the legislature put out to combat gun violence. Were there programs funded? What, what, what happened? So it's not only gun violence, it's also the, the epidemic of drug use that we're seeing. Um, so in the budget itself, we put in a ton of money for uh, mental health and substance abuse disorder treatment. And then, as you mentioned, also, we went extra long this session to deal with the Blake issue. So the, so the Washington State Supreme Court invalidated our drug possession laws. And it was up to the legislature to decide how we were going to treat banned substances. And I was pushing for a public health viewpoint where we view this as a public health crisis and give people treatment as opposed to jail, because jail is a form of treatment, but it's the least effective and most expensive. Um, so we really need to invest in our behavioral health and substance abuse infrastructure. And we did that in the budget, but we also did that in the Blake bill. Unfortunately, we ended up at a gross misdemeanor across the state. Um, I think it was very important that we have a statewide um, statewide platform on what drug laws we have. However, I would have liked them to like to see them be more um, restorative as opposed to punitive. Um, and with that bill, we also got another, I believe, $60 million put towards behavioral health and substance abuse clinics. Well, uh, Representative Street, thank you for your time today. I know you're going down now to the ribbon cutting uh, to uh, smile at some of the work that you and the other members of the legislature got done for the people. Uh, so congratulations on what you were able to do. And like I said, look forward to for you to come uh, by as uh, any time that you, you have a chance to. Sounds great. We haven't even talked about housing yet, and we did a bunch there. There's a lot more that we could have and should have done in housing, but we still got some stuff done, so I'd be happy to come back to talk about that or dive into any of the other topics. So talk to you soon. Okay, thank you very much. Representative Paulo Street from the 37th Legislative District and his stellar record this past long session. So we thank you and enjoy your ribbon-cutting ceremony down there with your work you've completed already. Thank you. Have a good day, brother. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, so we were supposed to have uh, Elmer Dixon on. You know, Elmer uh, has a book, uh, Die Standing. Uh, he has a big article in the Seattle Medium uh, in yesterday's edition on page two. As a matter of fact, he's also on the front page. So uh, we will just now go to my friend at the Northwest African American Museum, uh, Lanisha de Bottlebin, uh, who has a whole list of uh, Juneteenth events coming up. So, uh, uh, Lanisha, you want to go right ahead and, and share with us what's going on? Absolutely. Hello there, Eddie, and to colleagues on the show, Poet Jay and Dr. Tracy and Elmer, when he gets on, it's a delight to be on this call with all of you today to talk about Juneteenth. Uh, we here at the Northwest African American Museum uh, commemorate it in a big way every year, and this year we will be spending the entire weekend, um, all day Saturday, all day Sunday and all day Monday 
in Juneteenth commemoration for the community. We're inviting folks to come out to our youth day. It will be Saturday from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. at the museum. We will have activities and festivities for the whole family. Uh, we'll have uh, sports activations out in the park at the Sam Smith Park. We will have our Knowledge is Power Kip book giveaway. We will be unveiling the new uh, sci-fi book vending machine that will uh, be here at the museum um, in an ongoing way. We're gonna unveil it on that youth day. We have storytellers for the family. We have um, art activities for the kids. We'll have vendors. It's gonna be a full day. Uh, we'll have a, a family fun game show. I mean, it's family fun to kick off Juneteenth on Saturday. And then that Sunday, Father's Day, June 18th, we will be hosting our first ever uh, Juneteenth Film Festival. We are calling it the Freedom Film Festival, and we'll be showcasing films and documentaries produced by a variety of Black film producers, including Ava DuVernay, uh, Stanley Nelson, Nicole Hannah-Jones, and others. And so we invite folks to come out. That film fest will be going on from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. We'll have concession stands and um, just a great day for folks to learn about the history, the story, um, and to be with community on the pre-Juneteenth day. And then the big day is on Monday, June 19th. <laughs> We will be at Judkins Park on that day with our skate party, uh, all day DJ, live band, yoga in the park, dance classes, um, sports activations, food trucks, black vendors, something for everybody will be at Judkins Park on Juneteenth uh, from 10 a.m. through the evening. Also, the museum is going to be free and open to the public from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. So folks can come and enjoy seeing the black art, uh, the, the exhibitions here at the museum on Juneteenth. So they can uh, spend the whole day with the museum if they choose. Well, that's great. Uh, no cost for anything, right? Everything is free except for the food because you gotta have food trucks. Yes, there will, yes, there will be food trucks and that food will be available for sale. Okay, all right. And uh, we look forward to uh, the whole weekend. You've done, are you having a youth uh, event as well? Yes, that Saturday is our youth day. Okay. So there will be youth activities every day, um, okay. that Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. But we're dedicating Saturday to the youth. And I remember uh, Jay Ware came last year for uh, one of our youth day activities and was able to get some, some books for children in the community. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that my sister's on top of it. That's good to hear. So, well, anyway, I, I, I want to thank you very much, Lanisha. If there are anything, any other words you'd like to leave with us? We encourage folks to get more details uh, on our website, namnw.org, uh, to come out and be with community on the day that means so much to us, to our history, and to our future. Thanks, Eddie, for having us on. Okay, I appreciate you, Lanisha. Keep up the good work. Thank I want you. to ask Eric if he has, uh, I don't know if it's queued up yet or not, if you have uh, 
Deacon uh, Tanya. <laughs> it is my um, pleasure to bring to your attention again the announcement that was so well done, which is about Songs of Black Folk. And I don't know if you all know what Songs of Black Folk is, because some of you might have joined us before, uh, after. Songs of Black Folk is a world-class presentation of black excellence in art on the day of Juneteenth. Um, it is a an event that you will not want to miss. If you were there last year for Songs of Black Folk, can you raise your hand? So just by clapping your hands, do you think that it's something that is world-class that everybody else should want to be a part of? We'll play the rest of them later on. Okay, we do have, Ms. J. Ware. We're going to start with you. We're going to take a break and come back, Ms. J. Ware. So if you could go ahead and start about Pissarra and uh, let our listeners know what you have planned and what will be going on and what the organization uh, advocates for. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Larry. And I just feel so honored to be here um, with the guest on your uh, program today. Uh, this is wonderful. So PASARA stands for Puget Sound Advocates for Retirement Action. PASARA, P-S-A-R-A dot org. P-S- A-R-A dot org. Uh, Puget Sound Advocates for Retirement Action. This organization has been around for a minimum of 40 years, um, advocating on behalf of those that are approaching retirement, that are in retirement. Um, They deal with issues concerning Medicare, Medicaid, the privatization of Medicare and Medicaid. Uh, They're uh, extremely active with legislative issues. They have a wonderful newsletter that comes out that keeps you on top of it, keeps you aware, keep uh, knowledgeable, and not just um, those that are nearing or in retirement, but it also includes families. So it includes economic equity. So this organization, three years ago, uh, they're very active on a wide variety of issues, but three years ago, they asked if I would start organizing events, uh, programs, all virtual, all virtual, around uh, Juneteenth. And I was excited to do that. So these are mainly seniors, mainly retired people. And I thought it would be there. It's wonderful that they want to be on the front lines on issues that are important to communities, whether it's retired communities, communities of colored, ethnic communities. The bottom line is that we all at some point need to come together and support issues that will impact all of us at some stage in our lives. And so when it comes to Juneteenth, I've had, uh, they just don't know, I'm going to tell you right now, I had an amazing person that I really just met on. I had never met him before. His name is Sam Collins. Sam Collins out of Galveston, Texas. And this man commands a minimum of $2,000 to appear. And by the grace of God, I'm going to say it, by the grace of God, I was able to get him to speak uh, at a Pissar. It's also a fundraising event for the organization. Uh, he was willing to speak for pennies on the dollar, pennies on the dollar. Uh, this man then just simply turned around and dedicated it uh, to an organization in Galveston, Texas, that he works for. Also, I had Rodney Mosley who is a Microsoft cybersecurity expert born and raised in Texas. So 
it was important for me for this organization to have some experience, some exposure with uh, individuals that were highly knowledgeable about Juneteenth based upon where they were raised. And also we had entertainers. So meaning a vocalist this time around, the vocalist that I met one time. It's just, you know, I love it. I'm going to say this right off the bat. I love it when people will say, yeah, I'll do it. And they don't know me from Adam or Eve, but they'll do it because I ask before for the community because it'll make a positive impact. It'll make a difference. And so most of them have probably never heard a, a classical African-American female vocalist or vocalist at all in person. I'm going to shout it out. Jay-Zadun, <laughs> that I met one time, agreed to sing at this event on June 20th. That will at 5 p.m. June 20th, 5 p.m. That will feature... Eddie probably is struggling to remember who I am. And it's okay, because I've been very, very active in the community. I've been very, very active when it comes to um, the um, Garfield High School's events surrounding Martin Luther King Day. So it's all good, Eddie. But I you know, call as soon as Eddie, I saw your face, I knew who you were. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> I call Eddie. I got his phone number from somebody, so I'm not going to say who it was because he might say, why did she give you my phone number? No, I didn't no, give her permission. No. <laughs> I no, got I'm his a, phone I'm number. A pu- I'm a public person. You can't be an advocate for the people if you're going to hide your phone number. But I tell you what, I need you to hold on. We're going to come back. We're going to take a quick break so I can get these people uh, the, their, their time they need to, to keep paying me for this program. And that's the City of Seattle <laughs> Purchasing and Construction Services Department, the Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, Sound Transit Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, and the SeaTac Bar Group LLC, the brothers that own the African Lounge and the Mountain Room Bar. So take it away, Eric, and we'll come right back. At Sound Transit, we not only connect more people to more places, we're making life better for all. We're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire region of opportunities, like jobs and school. If you have an ORCA card, you can just tap and go. We have reduced fares for seniors and riders with disabilities. For adults with lower incomes, check out ORCA Lift and pay just a dollar for your ride. To plan your trip or to learn more, visit us at soundtransit.org. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend Port Gen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. Make us part of your daily routine. Alternative Talk 1150. Jacqueline Ware. Dr. Tracy Harrell and Lanisha de Barlamin from the Northwest African American Museum. So we're going to finish up with Ms. Jacqueline. You had some more comments to make before we go to Ms. Uh, Dr. Tracy? 
I have just a few more comments to make. I know my time is limited, so I'm going to make it quick and furious. So what I was getting ready to say is that um, for June 20th at 5 p.m. virtual, uh, Pissara is now going to be hosting as our keynote speaker, Eddie Rye. And I was getting ready to say is that um, I got his phone number, gave him a call, and Eddie, he was in Louisiana when he picked up that phone. And he said yes without even knowing really what it, what it would involve, what it would entail. And I'm telling you, ever since, it has been so hard to, to connect with him. He's a busy man. But I was just so, I was pumped. I was pumped that he said yes. So about Pissar, very, very quickly, for those that are interested in organization, I mean, like I said, they push, they are pushing back hard against the privatization of Medicare. Uh, and they truly believe, like we all should, uh, that Healthcare is a basic human right. It's an uphill battle, battle, but they keep persevering. And just like we have to keep persevering when it comes to one man, one vote, uh, and several other issues that impact communities and make of sure color. You vote. Okay, Ms. make sure you, sure you vote. Okay, I want to go to <laughs> Dr. Tracy Harrell now, who also has some events coming up and has been leading the community and also involved with putting together uh, this whole thing, about the $200 million from the Department of Commerce. Uh, so she has events coming up, and she's real busy with the Tacoma Pierce County Black Collective. Is, uh, from, I mean, all up and down the high five quarter. She is one stellar player. So go right ahead, Dr. Tracy. First of all, can I just say thank you, Eddie Rye, for being who you are, for just being such a connector in the community. Thank you. We love you. Thank you much. Like, start with gratitude. <laughs> so, well, Eddie, uh, similar to the last guest, I reached out to Eddie about a series that we're leading. And my name is Dr. Tracy Harrell. I am uh, president of It's All Bigger Than Me Consulting. Um, my background is 25 years in the corporate space, so eight years at IBM, uh, domestic and international, 14 years at the Disney company, and uh, five years at Microsoft. And what I love most about the work that I'm doing right now is I'm an entrepreneur and um, I'm past president of the National Black MBA Association, that's Masters in Business Administration. Um, and we're leading a series called the Better Together Empowerment Series. And the three specific focus areas for that initiative is fostering inclusion in business and in life. We're also focused on supporting black business and black wealth. And then third, we're focused on empowering our youth. And so the series is just designed for true transformation. Just like you show up every week, Eddie, with a very consistent message, you take you know, seriously issues that impact our community. This Better Together Empowerment Series is very similar. It's really about connecting all of us together for these initiatives and also creating a new level of accountability for organizations that say this is important, creating a space for us to make sure we get the work done, right, to, to really drive change. So I'm excited about the broader initiative. Um, the, the upcoming event is Thursday, June 22nd, at one of my favorite places, the Waterfront View, which I understand is close to where you hang, Eddie, at the Hyatt Renton. It's going to be at the Sip Lounge, and I could not be more excited. It's this Thursday, this upcoming, next Thursday, June 22nd, there's going to be three events. One is from 3 to 5 p.m., and that's part of the Better Together Empowerment Series. 
It's a strategic networking and a black business showcase. After that, from 5.30 to 7.30, we're hosting the Living Powerfully series. The Living Powerfully series is the work I do as a mindset coach, and it's going to be focused on wellness, wealth, and the art of transformation. And that's the event that we have you being a part of. And then as if that wasn't enough, from 3 to 5 and 5.30 to 7.30, we're going to kick it off with a champagne toast at 8, and we're going to go into some karaoke, because once you do this work, because it's hard work, once you do the work, we need to just continue to connect in community. So I could not be more excited. The place to be on June 22nd, Thursday, is the Hyatt Renton Sip Lounge. So excited. It's really about driving change, being in community, and really doing the work that's going to allow us to leave a legacy. That's it. <laughs> and how can people get access to the information? We got the flyers, and you want do you want them distributed far and wide? I would love that. I'd love that. The, you can reach us in one of two ways. So for the National Black MBA Association, Seattle's chapter, the website is seattleblackmba.org. And my website is itsallbiggerthanme.com. So yes, that would be the best way. It's on, it's on all of our social media as well. It's an Eventbrite. We're asking people to register. If you're a Black business and you want to showcase your business, definitely register on Eventbrite. Anyone can also email me. My email is Tracy, T-R-A-C-I, at itsallbiggerthanme.com. Because guess what, Eddie? It's all bigger than me, but together, it's not bigger than us. <laughs> you, you, know, you got that right, Tracy. Uh, also, can yes. you uh, just uh, share with our listeners a little bit about, you know, we've been hearing bits and pieces about this $200 million. Also, I want to let you guys know that Dr. Pila Terry, Executive Director of Atlanta Street Center, has joined us as well. So I wanted to make sure that you were where she's on the line. But uh, anyway, can you talk a little bit more about, because I know that everybody in the community is want to know about this $200 million figure that's been circulated around, supposed to be for our organizations and our businesses. How does that work? Yes. So, so the organization that's officially leading that is the Harriet Tubman Foundation for Safe Passage, as led by Ms. Jessie Miller. And Corbett Mosley, who is part of the Tacoma Pierce County Black Collective, is the project manager. Um, in my role, in my volunteer leadership role, uh, as uh, part of the, the Black Collective, I'm the economic development co-chair. And my focus is on Black business and Black wealth. So we have tons of entrepreneurial training. We have tons of you know opportunities. But this $200 million isn't one of those future things that you got to you, you know, this is right now money, and it's designed specifically for our community. The $200 million Community Reinvestment Fund, just so I slow down and clarify what it is, it was designed for Black communities, Black, Hispanic, and Indigenous communities that were most impacted by the war on drugs, that were disproportionately negatively impacted by the war on drugs. This $200 million has been funded. It's actually work, going to be worked through commerce and through the um, through the uh, Office of Equity. So there's going to be multiple, about 17 different grants and programs for loans and 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 really the the the, the, the distribution of wealth into our community is is now. And so there's one of the grants that has actually started already. So again, you can go to the commerce website. You can go to the Black Collective website as well. Um, it's 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 a re-entry grant. It's twelve million dollars. The uh, applications are due by July first, 
Uh, there will be, again, other programs. The calendar and all that stuff is online as well. Again, if you have any questions or need additional information, my email is Tracy, T-R-A-C-I, at it's, I-T-S, all bigger than me.com. Well, we certainly appreciate that. Yeah. Now, welcome. we want to go to uh, Dr. Pila Terry, the Executive Director of the Atlanta Street Center. The organization is 113 years old. We heard from Teresa Everett last week who gave us the education on, on the center itself. But Dr. Terry, I've not had a chance to meet you face-to-face, -face, I don't think. Not yet. I'm looking not forward yet, to it. Not yet. I'm going to be coming by the center to, to make sure that we do hook up. So yeah. why don't you just share a little bit about yourself, first of all, before we talk about any of the programs that you're involved with. Oh, definitely. Well, thank you for having us back, and good afternoon, everyone. Um, I am Dr. Pila Terry, and I started at Atlantic Street Center in May of 2021. So I just celebrated two years working with a great team there and meeting wonderful people in the community, uh, partners running nonprofits like Atlantic Street. And I am originally, I have to give homage to my home, which is Chicago. Um, I like to tell people I probably was an Atlantic Street Center kid because I was raised in the Cabrini Green housing projects. I remember and Cabrini Green is all right. I bet you you do. So I was raised there, but uh, much later ended up on the East Coast. So I spent 20 years in New York City and in the Hudson Valley working with individuals with varying disabilities, working in compliance, uh, program management, but was uh, recruited through a national search to come here to Seattle. And I'm loving it. And I'm learning so much about the rich history here. Uh, so it's an honor to be here um, at Atlantic Street Center and here in Columbia City. <laughs> well, you know, um, you need to hook up with the Black Elective because the chair of the Black Elective, his name is Lyle Kwasim, and he's from Chicago. Yes, so, Teresa uh, has him on that list. We've got this long you have on the list, okay. list of folks I need to really meet and talk to and make sure we connect and, and do good things in the community, definitely. Well, you got two more on here with these two ladies right here that are movers and shakers in different areas, but uh, they're, they're, getting, they're getting the job done. So why don't you uh, give us a little bit about your background. You said you were born in Chicago, went to the East Coast. What was your professional career like? Well, for the most part, I started off in direct service. Many of us do when we work in nonprofits, so hands-on. I worked in group homes in the Midwest. I was uh, educated in Iowa, even though not far from Chicago, and worked with people with developmental disabilities and began my career in management by about 1990 and worked primarily in the field, uh, working with folks with disabilities and other um, really marginalized individuals as I returned back to Chicago. Uh, I became really involved in work with HIV and AIDS uh, when I came to New York. So I ran a program there, wrote federal grants, and started working also in the Black arts industry uh, or areas there, and made my way up to the Hudson Valley to return to the uh, special needs or developmental disabilities field. Uh, ran some programs there for adults uh, in Westchester County. Uh, as well as then became more involved in the compliance, regulatory, policy, advocacy side as an officer. Um, I've also worked with nonprofit boards and had done some consulting while on the East Coast. In fact, I still sit on the board of a nonprofit in Queens that I helped co-found. I'm the treasurer uh, of that nonprofit, and it's very grassroots, community-driven, uh, direct service uh, and support uh, 
a nonprofit in Jackson Heights area of Queens. So, um, yeah, but most of my career has been in nonprofit. Um, is Gregory Meeks the, the congressman from Queens? Uh, he, he, I will say he is, uh, because I believe he's still in office. I yeah, was he's still there. Yeah. 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 Cause I spent 10 years in the Hudson Valley. So when I moved to Seattle, I was living really up above Westchester County, Rockland, Orange County, and commuting quite a bit from Connecticut all the way over to past the Hudson river. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, what uh, services that the Atlantic Street Center is providing right now and programs. Well, we're really strong in the youth space, as everyone knows, but we're really wrapping around families and wrapping around families who are former residents of you know the Central District and the Rainier Valley. Uh, we currently offer our services in Atlantic Street proper, so down on um, 21st Avenue. Uh, we also have a family center that's in the valley off of Cloverdale and Rainier Avenue. And we are in Kent. So we're touching lives of families and youth in South King and unincorporated Seattle area. We offer four different types of services uh, or programs. Uh, one is our biggest one is behavioral health. And we know that that's a main issue here, uh, the mental health and wellness of our kids, but also their loved ones. And we do counseling services there. We also have a really robust therapeutic gaming program that we started about, I would say, five or six years ago. And this is really reaching those middle school kids, helping them with social emotional skill development. And, you know, maybe they don't need a therapist, but they need someone to talk to. They need to learn how to express their frustrations and emotions. So that's one of our biggest areas. And it's um, running again across all of our programs. We partnered with the Seattle Public Schools. So we have counselors in the schools and are working with kids in the school staff and parents. Our second biggest area is youth development, and it's wide. We do enrichment programming, after school, summer academy, um, intensives, exploration, job readiness. We have a teen as parent service under that program, as well as a kinship care provider support group. And that's a key area because of the fact that many of our kids uh, who aren't with their parents, maybe with grandparents or great-grandparents, who themselves aren't fixed income. So we do a lot of support and direct services with the kinship care providers. Yeah, so that's two. And then the, uh, domestic violence or gender-based violence is one of our newer areas. So we work with survivors. And we also are still in the early learning space. So we do the in-home or home visiting programs with families, teaching parents really how to be the child's best first teacher. So those are the four areas that we're operating in the basic in the Seattle area and South King County. Uh, how many, what is the staff like at Atlanta Street Center? You got several centers now. How many people do you have working? We're at about 75 staff right now. So we've grown a little bit. And um, I think our biggest group, our two biggest group of employees is certainly the behavioral health, our counselors and the support staff, the interns that we actually supervise and, and run that program uh, year, uh, not year round, but each year. Um, and youth development uh, is a, has a larger number of staff as well. And where, uh, how can people get access to information about the Lang Street Center and the programs? Oh, definitely. Our might be listening, might need some help. So, 
Yes, definitely. We have a couple of ways that you can get in touch with us. Uh, anyone can go to info at AtlanticStreet.org and directly say what you need and someone will get back to you. But if you'd like to explore the services that we offer, just go to www.AtlanticStreet.org and you'll see the history, the current programs, learn a little bit about the staff, the board, um, and other organizational information. Well, I want to ask my two sisters if they have a question or comment for you, Dr. Pilateri, since you're the newbie. Uh, yes. well, two years, you've been here two years. I can't say you're a newbie anymore, but I've been here for 50. So. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, so, and I know Dr. Tracy, we've met and, and been in the same right. space, and she's awesome, um, definitely. Uh, and Miss Miss Ware, uh, Miss Jacqueline Ware, she's uh, b- very busy as well. So, Miss Jacqueline, do you have a comment or a question? I just a comment because I'm very aware of Atlantic Street and I just think you guys do such good work. Uh, I mean, you really are. You're in the trenches. You're on the front lines. You're doing so much, you know, to help our youth, to help our families and, you know, to keep families together, to keep families strong, you know, to help them through trials and tribulations and difficulties. And I just commend that organization. Organization that has been around for a long time, and it's not only staying strong but growing. I think it's fabulous. It's it, thank you so much, and it's great work. And that two hundred million, get some of that money. Yes, I'm, yeah, <laughs> I, I was listening very, very much so on that point. Um, and we did, you know, Eddie, to your point about programs and services. I mean, it's not just what we do as staff, but you know, this weekend we're celebrating Juneteenth, and I don't know if everyone knows, but Atlantic Street Center has been celebrating Juneteenth for 22 years, so well before it became a federal holiday. And we partnered with great folks in the community, uh, you know, City of Seattle, Park and Rec, uh, Rainier Avenue Radio. And we have a pretty impressive lineup. Teresa and her team has been doing a great job. Uh, If I can just highlight a few of the things that are happening Saturday, encourage people to come down to the beach, to the Rainier Beach Community Center. Um, You know, one highlight is definitely entertainment. And we are honored to have uh, a woman who moves my soul, Josephine Howe, performing hey. for us. Uh, I, I, I can't even go on about how she moves my soul. It's she deep. moves everyone's soul, so you, oh you just God. jump on. <laughs> That's right. I'm happy to jump on. She's awesome, and she's going to open us up in the morning. Secondly, again, thanks to Rainier Avenue Radio and Tony Benton. We are honored to have someone coming here from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Miss Sequina Queen Alexander. She is a direct descendant of Black Wall Street. And so as much as we like to make Juneteenth a celebration, we like to make it fun for the kids, we're going to get some education that day. So, you know, if you're able to join us, definitely uh, we want to hear from this talented artist. She's a public uh, a published author and really a passionate advocate for minority artists. Thank and you. That, yeah, yeah. And lastly, I want to just say we're starting a a new trend now. We're doing inaugural legend awards. Every year we're going to acknowledge the contribution of our local folks who have made tremendous impact. And Saturday, we are pleased to welcome and honor four key players in the community. Uh, Aaron Dixon, Elmer Dixon, former council member Larry Gossett, and of course, yours truly, Mr. Eddie Rye. So yes, we will see you 
and meet you. And I'm honored and okay, well, excited to you meet you. Is um, Elmer, is Elmer still on the phone? I am. Hi, okay. Elmer. Elmer Dixon's on right now. So, Elmer, why don't you take a couple of minutes, man? I'm sorry, I thought I sent you the email, but go ahead and uh, you got a big book signing coming up uh, tomorrow at Washington Hall. So share that with yeah, us right I'll be quick. Real, I'll be real quick because uh, they're about to board. Um, yeah, so tomorrow night is the official launch of my book, Die Standing from Black Panther Revolutionary to Global Diversity Consultant at Washington Hall, 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. We will be screening the documentary uh, that was produced by Rick Dupree on the Seattle chapter of the Black Panther Party that was screened at the uh, uh, Black Film Festival at Langston Hughes uh, a month ago. And while it's not complete, the uh, 40 minutes or so that he has is very powerful. And my brother Aaron will be there speaking as well. So I look forward to seeing you all and hopefully you'll get a book and I'll sign it for you. We'll be looking forward to that, brother. So thank you very much. All right. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Okay. So we got to take a quick break and we're going to come back with Ramon Bryant Braxton who is a conductor and uh, the artistic director and conductor for Songs of Black Folks that will be performed at the Paramount Theater on Sunday, June 18th at 7 o'clock. So let's take this minute, this 90-second break. Eric can come right back. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at Port Seattle. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. At Sound Transit, we not only give people more reliable ways to get around, we're connecting diverse neighborhoods to an entire system of opportunities like jobs, school, friends and family, and to the airport. Our commitment to economic development provides opportunities for women and people of color to compete fairly for sound transit contracts. All of this helps our regional workforce grow and thrive. Go to soundtransit.org and search DBE to learn more. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. Eddie Wright back at Urban Forum Northwest with Dr. Tracy Harrell, Jacqueline Ware, and Dr. Pila Terry. And our next guest is Ramon Bryant, the Artistic Director and Conductor for Songs of Black Folk, a music of resistance and hope that will be uh, performed on Sunday at 7 o'clock p.m. at the historic Paramount Theater in Seattle. Go right ahead, sir, and tell us uh, what's up. Good evening. How are you doing, Mr. Rise? Good to see you. Glad to have Glad to be back on the program with you. Thank you for having me. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about Sunday. We have some amazing talent coming from all over the country uh, to share an evening of Black musical excellence with the uh, Pacific Northwest community. Our musicians are excited. I've, you know, I, most of the chorus are Black folks, but the orchestra is mixed. Uh, we got Hispanics, it's African-Americans, we got white folks, we got some natives. It's, it's, it's a very broad uh, group of people. Uh, they're all excited about 
this music because they a lot of them say they don't ever get to play this type of music um so you all should be excited because the energy on the stage is excited um and i said yesterday on my uncle's uh, podcast that you know what we're trying to create on stage is an experience for the musicians i know they don't generally get um in their normal day-to-day -day lives with this type of music so many different musicians from all over the country or just really gifted at what they do coming together to usually a concert is kind of focused on one kind of genre but to do so many different things um we have a very excited group of musicians so i i hope it spills out into the, to the congregation just or the audience rather just and here we go here i go at the church talk uh <laughs> to the audience with uh just the excitement that's on the stage. We, so I think it's going to be a good evening. Yes, sir. Now, who are some of the performers? We played some folks last week, but uh, a lot of folks wasn't on the line then. Who mm -hmm. are some of the performers coming in to, to perform? So I try to mix it up. Um, we try to feature standard classical soloists uh, as well as gospel pop artists. So we have singing the classical music, Jacqueline Eccles, a soprano from, I believe she's from Detroit, Michigan, and Solomon Howard is back again, singing and playing percussion. Uh, he just got back in the country, at, actually, a couple days ago. So he'll be coming from the East Coast. He's on his way now, actually. Uh, we also have a local, I try to feature both nationally and local artists. So locally, we have Crystal Aiken coming back. I think she lives down south somewhere now, but she's she'll be here as one of our featured artists, as well as we brought James Conner back again. Uh, he's a native, but lives in L.A., so he's already in town. So, yeah, we've got a diverse group of singers. Uh, and then also we'll be featuring Miss Josephine Howe, a local legend here, as well as some of our young upcoming talent who sing in the chorus. I'm going to put them out in spotlight as well for a minute and give them some exposure and shine. So uh, now in terms of finding out information, how can people get tickets? What do the ticket sales look like? Are we going to have a sellout or can people still get tickets? People can still get tickets. They can, they will actually be even available at the door, I've been told. So if you don't buy them online, you can get them at the door as well. Uh, online, Ticketmaster.com, or you can go to the Paramount Theater's website and purchase tickets as well. It's Sunday at 7 p.m. And we will be starting as close to long time as possible because we got a lot of music to offer you that night. So we don't want to keep you all night long. So don't be late. How many people do you have in the orchestra and how many people do you have in the choir? And the orchestra right now is about 53, 53 or 54. And then the chorus is about another 30, 31. Now, so, we yeah. featuring any uh, other than yourself? Are we featuring, uh, and Pastor Brax, are we featuring other New Beginnings talent? Uh, so one of the young ladies who's going to sing at the end, she's my chorus manager, Jeanne Perez, amazing, talented young lady. I'm going to give her a little chance to, you know, be in the spotlight. But other than that, not really. There's a number of NBCF people who singing in the chorus, though. Yeah, the chorus is comprised of uh, singers from all over the, the area, Seattle, Tacoma, greater metropolitan area. Now, you, you got a track record, because why don't you share with our listeners what happened last year? And who was who highlighted the performances last year? So last year we did have Solomon. Uh, uh, we had uh, Bridget Brazil was here, a soprano who well known in the area. I believe she used to be a member of Fame. I think uh, she lives overseas now. I believe so. We had her here as our classical soprano. You know Bridget, don't you? Uh, and we had I'm James. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. Last year it started because I, I got a call from my uncle in maybe March 
saying that uh let people know who your uncle is oh leslie david braxton pastor of new beginnings uh christian fellowship (laughs) my apologies absolutely um see if i'd be willing to come home and put together some kind of presentation that would be elegant a night of uh classical artistry is its finest uh by some local and internationally renowned black performers um and so i put together this program and it turned out pretty well i think considering we only had five weeks to when i touched ground last may i didn't have a chorus i didn't have an orchestra uh i was working on the program on the flight on the way here uh but the lord blessed us and we was able to pull it off um so last year i don't think we couldn't give away enough tickets because it was so last minute people you know the community just didn't know what it was but um hopefully this year now that people know what it is those who were there last year we hope that they will serve as you know uh, <laughs> advertisers for it and help fill the house because we want to sell out every seat uh, but we got a good number of tickets left and i think it'd be worthwhile you know for anybody in this region particularly young people because i'm trying to expose young people here to something that i didn't get growing up here and i've spent my entire adult life on the east coast you know i've been afforded a lot of rich cultural opportunities so now i'm just trying to bring that back home and share some of those experiences that i know some young people otherwise wouldn't get in this area so and let, and let deacon tanya smith kevin meeks hooked it up so i had some video a voice of, of uh of deacon tanya smith she said i'm okay. working hard. i'm on the radio she was on today okay good our time good. is up He's working hard to- I want to thank you, uh, artistic director and conductor, Ramon, Brian Braxton, Dr. Pila Terry, Dr. Tracy Arell, uh, Jacqueline Ware, uh, Elmer Dixon, representing Chapalo Street. I want to thank you all very much. And uh, I'll see you on, uh, I will be there on Sunday without right. Peter. Okay, then. Thank you all very much. Let me give thank these folks a shout out. Thank, want to thank you the very City much. Of thank you. Services Office. The Port of Seattle Diversity uh, Contracting Office, Sound Transfer's Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion, CTAC Bar Group LLC, uh, Brother Rod, Ron, Ron O'Neill, and Jerry Whitsett. They own the Africa Lounge and Mountain Room Bar. And I also want to thank the folks over at the Port, especially me and Rice. Uh, and then we'll be having the new uh, uh, Director of the Office of Civil Rights, Equity and Inclusion from Sound Transit, Maria. She had to teach me how to pronounce her last name. But the sister is, is very sharp. We did have a chance to meet with her. Leslie Jones was magnificent in organizing that. So I'll see you guys all this weekend somewhere and uh, probably d- during the week as well. So thank you very much for your time today. And Eric, thank you very much. So we're going to talk to you again next week. 